yeah, I am the face that you will now have to put up with. Um, <laughs> ah, um, how are we all doing? Um, just in case you don't know me, like Josh said, I am James. Um, <laughs> I've attended the youth ministry here for four years almost now, and I don't know what else there's much to tell you about. Um, I did used to live in the house. I've studied my diploma of ministry this year. That was fun. Um, challenging, but it was fun. And I'll <laughs> be trying to continue my studies as best as I can next year. And um, I have preached once or twice at youth, um, but this is my first time at church, so I'm really hoping that I do well. Um, the title of my message is called, Could You Imagine? Now, I'm upset Tash isn't here because she's been laying down some awesome like titles for everybody and I don't get one. But um, when I got asked to preach about three weeks ago, I go where I normally go for message ideas and that's Google. I started like playing around on the search engine, like wondering what I could possibly preach on. And somehow I eventually... Um, put in to the search bar, I think it was Bing, actually, it's important, um, what makes us uniquely human. And I read, I think, 12 or 13 articles on what people think makes us uniquely human, and I saw three reoccurring themes, and I'll read them out to you. Um, um, the first one was uh, our ability to come together and put our minds together to achieve something that we cannot do on our own. We have this, in like the articles were explaining, we have this natural ability to want to come together and build something together that we could not possibly do on our own. Um, the second one that came up often was reason. The fact that we can somehow like justify and sort of give... Um, yeah, there it is. Can you imagine? Um, and then, uh, so the, talking about reason... It, um, in the 1400s, became a distinctively human thing because in 1386, in Felice, France, they tried to convict a sow for murdering an infant. The hangman subsequently hung the pig in the public square. Her piglets had also been charged, but upon deliberation were acquitted because of their youth. So in the 1300s in France, they used to get animals that had somehow accidentally or intentionally killed human beings and they would give them lawyers and like they would set up a whole court process and then they would let they would defend the animals and the animals would almost lose 100% of the time it's insane um, but then the third one which I found quite surprising um, was our ability to imagine the imagination and I started to wonder what exactly would what makes the imagination the uniqueness of humanity like more than our ability to love, more than our ability to empathize, more than our ability to have knowledge far greater than any animal. So like most preachers do, I went to Google Images for a quote. And um, Albert Einstein said this, imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited to all we know and understand, while imagination embraces the entire world and all there will be to know and understand. One of the smartest, one of the most recognized intelligent men in the world said knowledge is nothing compared to the power of imagination. And it, and it means a lot when it comes from someone in a position where they're looked at for being intelligent and saying it really means nothing compared to our ability to imagine. And where, when I say imagination, what, what do you think of? Because immediately when I looked at imagination, I thought of that time in childhood where you'd be able to instantly create anything in your mind for hours of entertainment. The smallest trivial thing could become 
whole world and reality just through your imagination. You didn't need any toys. You didn't need any people around. You could just simply have an idea in your head. You can simply have a thought and it would create this whole entire world. Do you maybe reflect upon imagination being something that contradicts truth? Maybe something that isn't actually real but only in our mind. Do you think it's something that's just used to tell stories and create like movies and all that sort of stuff? And what possible relevance could imagination have to the scriptures and to the people of the scriptures? And I want to start with going back to the Old Testament. And I've been reading through a few of the prophets and they seem to almost be doomed by their sense of imagination. See, God comes through telling, giving his um, prophets uh, a way of living that I would hope is tremendously difficult. And in a world that is so unrighteous, filled with so much evil and wrongdoing, and God gives them this vision of a whole new world called, and it's repeated like 200 and something times, and it's called on that day or the day of the Lord, like the day is coming. Um, And this day represented um, a day that when all the wrongdoing would be met with justice, the day everything will be made right, and the day of Jesus. And when the Israelites heard this, they, they would have been angry or frightened because they knew they hadn't have been obeying God's law. They knew they hadn't been following God's way. The way in which the Israelites were living would often bring death and suffering for so many other people, would often bring oppression and so much wrongdoing. So when the prophets would often do the weirdest of things like put underwear, dirty underwear under a rock and then take it out after quite a number of days and say, this is you, I'd be insulted by that. But um, like they would do the most unimaginable things to show the Israelites their wrongdoings, but then also give them a picture of what one day the Lord will be doing. And to everyone in a position of power, everyone in a position of something to lose would be frightened by this concept, would be scared of a reality where everyone is equal and a world where there is only love and there is no one on the bottom, there is no one on the top, but we are all just here with God. And, you know, if I was a prophet in a world like the Bible is crazy violent. Like there are some stories where I'm like, wow, this book is awesome. Like there is some really good stuff. Like, but um, if, I was thinking like, you know, if God, if I had God tell me like, you know, there'll be a day when this is all over. There'll be a day when there'll be no more suffering, no more violence, no more oppression. I'd be like, really? Like, is that a joke? Because like all I'm seeing around me, all I can experience, all I've ever sensed from the moment of, of birth back then would have been violence, that everything that you do would, you know, the Old Testament is like, you do this, you get stoned, you do this, you die, you die, you die. It's like, whoa. Like, so to imagine a world where there is no wrongdoing or suffering or death would be like, God, are you like tricking me right now? Are you pranking me? But um, <laughs> the vision that God given them, it changed their lives. It changed how they lived. It said God gave them this vision of a world and they had to imagine in their minds the best they could, a world where this stuff didn't exist. And not simply just think of it, but the imagination of God's world coming to reality somehow changed the very fabric of who they were as people, the very fabric of their call to life. Because when God showed them the, the vision of the future world that has come the day of the Lord, it changed how they lived dramatically in amazing and really brutal ways. Because there's like the prophets like I said doing some crazy things and just because of this of God saying hey there's going to be one day a world that is better than what you know 
that was enough for them to be like, I can imagine a world where there will be none of this. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to make that a reality while I'm here. And that sounds awesome. It sounds awesome to be a prophet, to have that sort of like hearing from God, but it often meant such terrible things for the people who had that position. Prophets often got ridiculed, rejected, like Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Like that would be one of the worst ways to be known as someone who just cries because they got constantly rejected. So what, how they live their lives because of the imagination they knew was going to be a reality one day in the future caused them immense pain, immense suffering. And it often led to their deaths like a whole lot of times. And our, imag- our imagination can so easily be attributed to so much pain. Like for me, when I was, when I was growing up, the, my imagination would often cast the idea to if I had a better dad and if I had better finances growing up. See, I always in high school blamed the fact that I always had a terrible dad who didn't teach me properly and I didn't have money to be happy. So in my mind, I'd create this person that lived with a great family. I created this mind where I lived in a house that had more than enough finances and the person I saw myself in that dream, in that reality, I imagined him to be like perfect. I imagined him to be happy and good. And why my mind was so conflicted with that idea, why my mind was so cast to this person of if I had this stuff, if I imagined this James that was created in a better time, in a better place, with better people, then everything would be made right. And I could almost guarantee all of you can easily imagine a time in life where you've just wanted so desperately your imagination to cast something so different to what your life actually is. Can you imagine if I was a bit faster? Can you imagine if I was a bit more intelligent? Could you imagine if I was a bit more courageous, a bit more popular, a bit more determined, a bit more passionate? See, there's a whole myriad of things where in life we constantly wake up and we say, I imagine something different from what I am right now. And it can honestly be one of the most stumbling things for humanity to always wake up and to always imagine yourself having something that you don't have. So you, we look at celebrities and idolize them and like you read numerous quotes from them and they say, money doesn't buy happiness. All the things that we inspire to have, like the Kardashians and people like that seem to be the most unhappy people in the world and it's crazy because that's all the things that we ever want we're like if we just had a bit more money for a holiday if we just had a bit more money to buy that new call of duty game like oh can you just imagine can you imagine and we live in that sort of world you know and it's and it's not entirely our fault we're constantly injected with us this idea of we need more you watch TV for 10 minutes and you feel like you need to go to the shops for 10 billion things. Like, you, you would see the new television ad for an iPhone, you're like, wow, if, I imagine if I had the iPhone, I'd be I'd cool. You see, like, home and away, and you see the couples being happy, like, well, I can imagine myself with a girlfriend, I'd be pretty happy, like. And I watch, like, I don't know, shampoo, ad, shampoo ads, and I'm like, man, if I had Pantene, like, my hair would finally be smooth. Like, it's the sort of imagination that really, like, chases us to something we will never really achieve. Um, and, and that's the danger of imagination. The danger of imagination is that we can often chase something that will never really make us happy. Imagination can also often cast a world where we live in and we wrap ourselves in and we say, if things were just like this, I would be better. 
And if you've ever been in a bad place, the amazing thing is why it's so easily imagination can take you there. It's so easily other people's imaginations that can liberate you from that situation. Like, I don't know if... I'm, I'm sure you've all been depressed at some time in life. And when I'm depressed, I normally listen to Ed Sheeran, like something like that. And do you ever listen or watch something or read something that like when you're super, super depressed, you just see something and it completely takes you out of that place. You see a movie that makes you feel overwhelming joy. You see, read a book that you're like, wow, this is like amazing. And the beautiful thing about our imagination is that if it's used correctly together, if my imagination can liberate you, then yours can do mine. Because if we come together and if we say, hey, um, we create these creative canvases for what the world could be, then we somehow come together and realize that this world will not always be like this. There will not always be a world where I wake up unhappy, always imagining someone better because of things I don't have. And the I read a cool quote um, about imagination also on Google Images. It was like, um, imagination paints the canvas of the world. It is, like I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I can't remember exactly as it says, like imagination is the broader perspective of truth. There is no limit that imagination can't reach. And that's what makes it so powerful is that imagination can't be stopped. It can't be defined. It can't simply go to what is possible, but imagination goes beyond the realm of possible. And that's exactly why I believe it's a God-designed gift because sometimes we just get so stuck in our own ways and to have something, a gift, that can imagine ourselves doing crazy radical things can ultimately change the world if we use it correctly and so we come to when Jesus finally arrives on the scene and um, and he and he all these um, prophets that have been killed and rejected when Jesus arrives and they're like hey are you this guy they're like yes he's like yes I am that guy but I've not come to dismiss what they said or the laws they created but I've come to fulfill them and they're like you mean the ones we killed those ones He's like, yes, those ones, those ones, those are the ones I've come to fulfill. So at this moment, they're like, damn, like, we really messed up. We really messed up. Um, And what was that vision? We saw the prophets giving a vision of a day where there would be justice. There would, a day where there would no longer be suffering or oppression. And so what Jesus says here is finally, is like the day of the Lord has come. Now the kingdom of God will be at hand. And that kingdom that's the one that ends all wrongdoing. That's the one that ends all suffering for you and me. And we have that ability because of the cross to access tangible bits of heaven and it's overwhelming. It is so overwhelming that the kingdom looks like this. If I can just read a passage from Revelations 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eye and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. This is... A crazy overwhelming picture to me 
Because when I watch the news, when I look at the world and there's so much violence and darkness, I can't imagine a world where there isn't injustice, where there isn't poverty, where there isn't corruption, where there isn't people stepping on other people to get up and saying that's blessing. I can't imagine a world where that doesn't exist. And that's why it becomes so, so confronting. Because that's the picture, exactly what Jesus lived out, was Revelations 21 embodied. He made a space where there was no shame, where there was no corruption. He was a perfect human because he lived love out perfectly. And maybe you can imagine that world. I've tried often and I've, I have done it a couple of times, like had a picture in my mind of a world like that. And, you know, the, the Jews I imagine could too. And there's this beautiful um, passage, I think it's in Luke, where Jesus, it's, it's actually a very depressing passage, but Jesus is entering um, Jerusalem for the first time. I don't, know, I don't think it's the first time, but he's entered as a king. And as he's coming in, everyone's cheering, like, Jesus! Like, they realize finally that Jesus is going to be the one that brings this redemption, that brings, like, heaven over earth. But then Jesus starts crying. It's a bit of a weird thing to do when everyone's cheering, like, yeah, you're the man, Jesus. And he's just, like, weirdly sobbing. It would be like, wow, Jesus is a really depressing guy. But the... The reason Jesus was sad was because they didn't understand why or how it was going to happen. See, we can so easily forget that meeting injustice doesn't mean killing other people. Meeting injustice doesn't look like hurting the people that hurt us more. In fighting injustice looks like the very saviour that we follow, or one that meets those things with kindness, peace, patience, all those beautiful things that seem impossible to do because... If I'm on Facebook and someone disagrees with me, I get so angry. I get so mad. Like, if someone, like, con- like says my theology is wrong, I get really, like, hurt in my heart. Like, it's not that big of a deal, but for some reason, when someone just says you're wrong, like, you just get angry, and you seem to fight for it. But, like, the, the most valuable thing I've learned this year would be that convincing to someone that you're right and hurting them in the process is no victory at all. We are working toward a world where we don't... St- on anybody we don't hurt anybody but a world that has accomplished everything in love in understanding and patience and that ultimately is our savior and that ultimately is the textbook to how we live is jesus and it is so overwhelming and that is why we need each other so much is because john john chapter six has easily become one of my favorite chapters through this year because it's where Jesus is saying, like, hey, this is what living, like, for me will look like. And at first, they're like, wow, like, we can, we can see how this works. We can see that it looks good and fine. And then Jesus says what it will cost them. And they're like, ooh, ooh. And they turn around and they walk away. And then after there was thousands of people, there's 12 that remain. And Jesus is like, will you go too? And Peter's thing is like, I can imagine Peter wanted to say yes. Like, God, I want to turn around and leave because this just seems impossible. But once they saw this vision, once they saw a vision of heaven coming to earth, a world where there was no more suffering or injustice, they couldn't turn away from that. They couldn't then look at the world the same again because once they've seen Jesus, they've seen a solution to all wrongdoing. Um, Could I get the band up? So then our goal, whoa, whoa, there we are. 
So then our goal in life is to constantly immerse ourselves in the gospel and the kingdom that's coming. See, this, this is important and this is so what life is all about is, you know, prophetic actions now look like bringing a place that will one day be fully here, one day fully be consummated on earth and making it a reality for all those broken people around us. One, for all those broken, hurt people around us saying, hey, there is no shame here. There is no hurt here because I embrace you as Jesus would. And until we look at a world and we say, I will not hurt someone to make myself feel better. I will not be angry because it doesn't achieve anything, but I will love because I know that's what restores the world. I know that's what redeems the world. And we have to have this in every aspect of life. We have to follow this to the deepest ends of the earth and it gets uncomfortable. It gets painful. It gets horrible. There are some people I so struggle to love. Sometimes that is so easily myself and because I can't do that, I really struggle to transfer that to other people and be like, why should I? Why should I? You know, I just constantly look and read about Jesus and I'm completely in awe every single day of a Savior whose idea of glory and the best part of, of his life was hanging on a cross because that's the day he truly won. That's the day we truly won was when someone was nailed to a cross and we have to remember that this world that we're going to be a part of one day, heaven that comes to earth, like Josh said, it costs something. The fact that Jesus died is a victory and it's something to rejoice over, but it's something that should cause us immense pain sometimes. The fact that our Savior had to die on a cross to redeem us, that should cause us to be awfully sad sometimes. And this life that Jesus now tells us to live because of his sacrifice, like I said, it's overwhelming, but it's life-changing. So if I could get you all to stand. Um, as the band starts to play, you can feel free to come to the front and um, someone will pray for you. But I'd just like to ask you to do something in your own time, maybe at home or whenever. But I'd like you to always try to imagine each day what, to immerse yourself in a heaven that is one day coming to earth, in a world where there is no wrongdoing and try to make it a reality everywhere you go. It may simply be a person that insults you and just being ridiculously forgiving and loving back to them. It may look like anything, but as we go out today, let's do what Jesus calls us to do to bring that kingdom of heaven to earth. Let's end injustice. Let's end oppression. Let's end wrongdoing, hatred and suffering. And let's live in a world. Let's start a world where the kingdom of heaven will finally be immersed on earth. So if the band can start, that would be awesome.